Hello, and welcome once again to episode eight of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code on this brand new show. My name once again is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Spencer. Hi there. And Ben. Hey, hey. So first off, I wanted to talk a bit about what it's like launching an app in 2020 compared to 2008. So I got my start uh, doing app development quite literally when the iPhone came out. That was my first chance to start making uh, real money. Uh, and that coincided with the App Store coming out. So uh, I started development of my app when the iPhone uh, SDK was announced. And by the time 2008 rolled around, I believe it was sometime in October, uh, I launched my very first app. Uh, now, it's very different launching an app back then and launching an app today. Uh, and it has been quite a few years uh, since I last launched an app. I think it was somewhere in 2013. So I wanted to kind of uh, take this trip down memory lane to kind of see what has changed, what is the same, um, and uh, like how this has all uh, evolved over time. So the first thing that is most notable is app store review times were very long back in the day. You had to completely throw out any plan you had at a controlled release because it could be two weeks, it could be four weeks, uh, and those were not like out of the ordinary times. You would just submit your app and then you'd wait a whole long time uh, before it was eventually um, approved. And I think Apple announced recently with their latest uh, string of the apps are its great propaganda uh, that there are like 500 uh, professionals around the world that now review apps. Uh, but they do it so quickly. Like your app is in review within hours, sometimes minutes of you submitting it and it's approved shortly after. And the longest part of this whole thing is the distribution to uh, the variety of CDNs that Apple uses for um, the iTunes uh, store backend. And that takes the longest. Like it, it quite literally takes forever for your app once approved to just show up um, on the app store. Uh, so. I would say that's like a very nice change uh, since back then, um, but uh, like there is quite a few more changes. The App Store it launched with just free or paid apps, and then shortly after it gained in-app purchases, shortly after it gained subscriptions, but only for magazines, uh, and then subscriptions that couldn't auto-renew, and then subscriptions for real. Um, like there's a lot of evolution with uh, the sort of uh, marketplace and what sort of payments you can accept. Um, and how that's changed even in the last few weeks uh, as rules have been clarified. Um, advertising uh, has kind of come and gone. Apple had iAd initially, and now they don't really have anything, uh, and they don't really have a solution for advertising other than you going to uh, some gross company that's going to steal all your users' information, <laughs> um, and you need to agree to that if you want to have advertising, which uh, is kind of silly. It would kind of be awesome for Apple to bring iAd back now that everything is much more privacy conscious. Um, there's a whole concept now that the App Store review times are much shorter of planning your release, which I was utterly unfamiliar with uh, nearly 10 years, more than 10 years ago. Um, and that is a process where you might say, oh, I'm going to actually release my app in three to four weeks. So that way I have a chance to reach out to uh, publications so that way they can maybe write about it. Um, and that's very weird, just sitting on a complete app that you don't really want to be touching um, 
because if you touch it, you can't submit like a new version. You have to revoke your version that was planned and then submit a new version and hope for the best. As opposed to like, oh, just replace it once Apple reviews it, uh, which I found kind of silly. Uh, but that was like a whole new process. Um, so uh, I, I, I guess I wanted to see what your opinions were now that the App Store is kind of all grown up um, and different. And I'm sure you've all kind of jumped in at various moments in time as the App Store was evolving. So I'm curious to see what your takes on it are. Uh, ben, do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, I, it's it's something that has definitely changed a lot, like you said, from the early days to now. And I think I want to say the first app that I released, not for myself, but just the first app that I released for you know a company that I worked for was in 2010. Um, and so that was what like I well like iPhone OS two maybe 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 three something like that. Um, and uh, I've since released apps kind of at various points, and it it seems like. <laughs> The one constant seems like whenever I go into App Store Connect, it's a little different uh, than it was the last time I went in there. <laughs> Frustratingly so, too, because you're like, I think I go over here. And then you're like, nope, that's not right. You got to go somewhere else. So it's uh, it's always a fun game to kind of see what they've changed and, and how they've how they've changed it. But um, it is it is definitely the case that that has changed quite a bit. And I think generally for the better. But uh, certainly as, you know, if we look at the apps, the current state of the App Store as it is today and kind of the the fights that or the i guess the disagreements that uh developers are having with with apple both you know gigantic developers like epic um and very small ones like you know us but you know building apps for basically just ourselves and then just releasing them ourselves um there are definitely some similarities there and the i think in some of the things that we would like to see and there's i think a lot of things about um what those big companies want out of the app store versus what we might want in the app store that are not similar that are, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that anyone should really hitch their wagon to anybody who's like a small indie should certainly not hitch their wagon to Epic. For example, I don't think Epic is out for definitely not out for the little guy. They're out for Epic. They want, they want what's best for them. Um, and so the changes that we'd like to see things like the things we've been talking about this whole time, right? Like uh, paid, um, or a uh, free sort of trials of, of stuff, which we do get in, in a certain way with subscriptions, but like um, having paid upgrades, stuff like that is are, are things that likely unless forced, probably Apple will never do uh, because like the old sort of saying goes, it's, it's, uh, it's basically, what do they say? It's Apple first customer, second developers, third. Uh, and in that order, in that hierarchy. Um, and so we are, we are not as important as Apple, and we're not even as important as Apple's customers to Apple. So it's it's just a matter of of finding you know that balance and figuring out what works, what what you can do within the confines of what's available, um, uh, you know, to you as a sort of individual developer that's releasing on the App Store. Um, so as far as like how to navigate it today, I think. Honestly, I think the best choice is for now is to live in the world that we actually live in, and and so your options are free, paid, or in-app purchase that is one time, or in-app purchase that is a subscription, and take the cut from that Apple takes thirty percent, and 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 build your business around that assumption, and then if it gets any better than that, in you know now or in the future, that's kind of gravy. But uh, this idea that that we're gonna get. I think this idea that we're going to get something that is significantly better than what we have now is 
probably pretty unlikely. What do you think, Spencer? Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. I think, if anything, at the very most, they would give us like 5% more or something where it's yeah. like, not much, but even then it's like, I, I think that's going to be a pretty big ask for Apple. Uh, I think they're just like we're used to the 30% cut. They're also used to it. And right. Not that they need more money, but that's <laughs> what's going to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming from uh, not having as much time um, uh, developing apps, but having used iOS since the release of the app store, um, I think another consideration when you're launching an app is just visibility where I think we've mentioned this before on the show, but, uh, you know, uh, the app store launched with, uh, many, many times fewer apps as there are now. And right. so, you know, there was probably one or two chess apps and now there's hundreds. <laughs> and so figuring out how do you uh, how, even make your app visible is a hard thing. Um, it could be maybe the best app in the world, but if you can't get it out there and get it in the hands of, of users or even get users to even know that it exists, then, you know, that's a hard ask where I think uh, you might have had a little bit more organic traffic just driven to your app by way of it being the sole or one of the sole uh, apps of that category. Um, and so I think in that sense, you need to think about how can you differentiate your app? Like there's always like the classic example of a task app, right? Every, every iOS developer has probably made a task or reminder app in their, in their life. Uh, it's just so common. And so the apps like that, that do really well, somehow differentiate themselves. And, you know, that's, you either need to capture a segment that has no, um, no apps or few apps or, uh, just you know make a killer app uh, with some amazing feature that none you know caters to maybe what users are saying in the reviews of those other apps like oh i wish it had this but it doesn't and then you could maybe you know take that and, and kind of go with it um but yeah i mean uh, from from my perspective it's it, like you said you just kind of have to live under that assumption of this is the way it's going to be. It's not really going to get better. And if anything, there are just going to be more apps and you may even have a harder time. I mean, for me personally, um, uh, that, that would be scary for me if that was like my app on the app store. And that was my, um, my main source of income is an indie dev. And so for me, it's like, I love to build apps and, and, you know, put apps on the app store. Uh, but by no means would I say at this point would I try to make a living off of that because it's just so uncertain. Um, I think yeah. any money I can make on the side is, is you know, icing on the cake. But uh, for me, it's like that that's a little bit too scary unless something were to just take off, you know, and I, I could build a business around it, like you said. Right. And I think that's a key difference between the early app store and now. Like on the early app store, there were enough apps where you can quite literally browse the entire collection of chess apps. Exactly. Like within a few pages and you can try all of them. Uh, you can try all the free ones, realize that the free ones are not any good. Uh, and then you can try the more expensive ones $1 at a time until you find one that you're kind of happy with. Um, and that kind of 
organic, uh, I wouldn't want to say growth, but the, the organic uh, discoverability of that much smaller marketplace made it possible for indie devs to use that as their primary like marketing strategy of having no marketing strategy, just putting an app out there. Uh, and if it's good, people will see it. Nowadays, even if you do polish the heck out of your chess app and make it the best chess app there is, no one's going to notice until you actually tell people. Uh, and even if you tell people, it's not necessarily going to make a super big splash either, um, which is kind of difficult. Like I remember, um, again, with my app Elements, uh, it got featured on the App Store in, one, in the very early days. Uh, and a feature on the App Store basically meant you were one of five apps that would be on the App Store front page for a week. That meant that for that week, those would be the five apps that every user would see when they launched the App Store, uh, and they would go check it out naturally. Uh, so that one feature brought in a lot of uh, people taking a look at my app, and that um, was a huge amount of income for myself at the time, being 16. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting because even without that, people are still finding my app just by searching for like periodic table, it would show up. Not the first entry, not the second entry, a few entries down, but it would show up. Uh, and there were not much, many more entries further than that. So people were more interested at that point to kind of try everything. Um, and nowadays, if you get featured on by the App Store, it's for one day. You have many more people on that one day to see it. But then from that point forward, it's kind of lost again. Uh, and you have to rely on uh, other sources kind of coming together. Um, so I, th I think that's very interesting. Now it's interesting that you bring up the 30%. Um, and I remember like thinking, Oh, 30%, it seems super fair back in the day. Right. Totally, totally. Like they will take care of everything for me. And I just have to give them uh, a version of the app that compiles and supposedly pass the app review. And I'm like, cool, I'll take 70% of that. Um, and I even made apps that kind of took that in mind. So if I was working on an app with someone or someone gave me a bunch of content and I would make an app around it, I'm like, okay, I will give you 50% of the purchase price and keep the 20% and Apple's going to take 50, uh, 30. And that's just part of the math. Uh, so those were like always my assumptions whenever I was making apps. I'm, I, I was like very surprised when I started to hear about Spotify and other companies complaining about the 30%. Um, and like in reality, if I had made uh, instead of seventy percent, ninety five percent over all my app sales, would that have made a difference for me? No, like not at all. Like any amount of gain in that regard would be pointless to me as an individual developer because I don't have that that difference in percentage from five percent to thirty percent is not enough to like warrant a huge sum of money that would make a meaningful change in my life. Yeah. Right. Um. So. Like, I don't see any sort of benefit there, whether Apple does not take a cut at all from the first million that you could supposedly make and then starts only taking after that. That would not solve anything. Um, like, it would only really uh, benefit larger companies who have already made assumptions as far as how their business is going to run. Um, and that's where that 30% really comes in. Um, but for all other scenarios, it's, it doesn't really have that much of an impact. So I'm always surprised to hear people saying, oh, Apple should do this with the 30% or this. I feel like 30% has nothing to do with most of the problems for most app developers. It's just the few that are giant corporations that have a nitpick to have with the 30%. So 
yeah, I, think I always found that need interesting. a large user base to even make that matter, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I have an app on the App Store that is a dollar ninety nine. So, you know, I, I take whatever a dollar forty or whatever it is, and like it, a few more pennies per per purchase is negligible with the amount of people that download the app. So, I, I totally get that. I don't think there's unless you you know you have thousands or or hundreds of thousands of followers it doesn't really add up that much yeah and i think most of the problems that people have at least if we're talking about indies right that have with the app store they're less to do with things like 30 percent and more to do with things like there are so many apps being out there that are you know at a minimum i would say maybe questionable quality at a maximum full-blown scam apps, right? They, they've stolen your idea and copied it exactly, and then they're charging people $20 a week and stuff like that where they, you know, they're just blatantly ripping you off from an idea perspective, an implementation perspective, and then they're doing things like, you know, keyword spamming the, the app store to try and, you know, get their ads over your legitimate app, and then the app doesn't really even do anything, and it, and it takes people's money, and those kinds of issues where... It's obviously bad for the consumer because they're being tricked into uh, getting apps that you know either don't work or are at a minimum way overpriced for what they do, um, and and also from a developer perspective, it's it's things like you know you've worked really hard to make something an app that really you know shines and does what it does well, and then somebody comes along and just sort of takes it from you and then figures out a way to sort of spam their way to the top. So that they can then be over, you know, they can they can have their arguably illegitimate app featured over yours, um, and where you did kind of all the work necessarily um, to kind of come up with that idea and to make it work. And there's just no good mechanism for you know effectively fighting that. Uh, obviously, you could take the person to court, but I mean, if it's a if you're in the U.S. and they're in another country, it can that's even harder to sue people like that for even for legitimate you know trademark or copyright infringement or whatever and there's just not that that part of the store the the kind of i guess cd underbelly of you know the the scam apps and the apps that are just blatant ripoffs stuff like that apple's not really i mean it's a very hard problem to solve i'm not trying to say it's not but it it's also seems like apple's not motivated to do much about that because at the end of the day 30% 30% of a scam app is the same as 30% of a real app. So to them, the revenue is the same. Obviously, there's differences of like public perception, but I mean Apple's a 2 trillion dollar company. I don't know that they <laughs> I don't know that they sort of care any more about any one person's perception of them. I mean, it's almost like they can't. They're so far removed from that 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 would be even difficult to do. So it's I think those are really the things that at least indies are worried about. I don't think that's what Epic is worried about. They have a whole different set of concerns. And to them, 30% is a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot of their revenue. Uh, but but I think even if all that happened was that Apple took more seriously the idea of people stealing other people's intellectual property um, and or... Uh, people putting out apps that are like blatant blatantly fraudulent perhaps is too strong a word but at least scammy you know in the sense that it's a it's a chess app that costs 14 dollars a week like nobody wants that and you don't and nobody needs that either um Mm -hmm. if they could just take that even more seriously i think that would actually go a long way towards improving the goodwill that 
they have spent a long time developing and are kind of, you know, rapidly, uh, it, it's it's fading. I mean, it's certainly not making any serious moves towards people just leaving in droves, but it is definitely the case that that uh, developer morale among Apple developers right now, particularly indies, is not wonderful because of the things that they've been doing lately, including things like dropping iOS 14 with less than 24 hours notice. That's just... That just right. seems kind of insane, uh, and uh, you know, and, and for people who, you know, none of us, I don't think, really rely on the app store for their primary revenue. But there are lots of people who do, and mm-hmm. and so decisions like that, dropping iOS fourteen less than twenty four hours notice, is genuinely impactful to those people's livelihood. Um, and so, you, you do that enough times, and I don't know that developers are going to want to withstand i mean look at twitter for example right they they not to go off on like a whole different tangent but like just briefly twitter right they're sort of kind of relaunching their developer api and saying like yeah we know we sort of slapped you on the wrist with the ruler last time but we promise not to this time it's just like nobody trusts you twitter like i'm not going to run in and start building twitter apps for, for you because you've proven yourself to not be trustworthy same thing with facebook same thing with with a lot of these companies who put up these things to say hey we're going to be really great for developers and then they're not developers remember that and they don't aren't easy to it's it's very easy to lose um developer support i think and it's very hard to get it back in any meaningful way and i'm not saying that you know apple's like the third party ecosystem under apple's products are like necessarily going to go anywhere but it is something that apple can't they can't afford to ignore completely because there are real consequences for that. I mean, I'm I'm still angry at Facebook for shutting Parse down. And that was four years ago. So, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm angry at Facebook for lots of reasons. But, like, from a developer perspective, that's what I'm angry about. That was four years ago. So, you know, we remember. And we're not easy to sort of trust again until, you know, you can really build up a lot of that proof that you're not just going to mess with us again, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if Apple is slowly setting themselves up for future failure or someone to come in and uh, like undercut them in terms of uh, experience and uh, yeah. a better device that has better software eventually. Yeah. Like they're slowly eroding everything that makes an Apple device special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's if it's in their best interest to continue doing that. Like they right. can turn the ship around. It's going to take a long time uh but if they continue going in the direction that they're kind of going in uh it's just setting themselves up for someone to come around and say hey we have a brand new device it has a brand new ecosystem mm-hmm. uh and we want to support all the indie developers out there yeah. and guess where if it if it ticks all the right boxes guess where all the indies are going to go i mean all the right. indies left mac platform to make the ios platform a thing right yeah. Like it's thanks to that pioneering and that good software stewardship that kind yeah. of showed that iOS can be a quality platform. Without that, we may have many more junk apps on the app right. store that Apple will just be yeah. okay with. Um, yeah. Or maybe we wouldn't have gone this far uh, with yeah. it. So that's something certainly seems, to consider. It almost seems like a double standard where, you know, we have the app store review process that is more. Um, more locked down than the Google Play Store. Um, you know, Apple wants to foster this uh, image of the App Store being uh, 
I don't know, having only quality apps, but then they still allow, like you're saying, these these garbage apps that are charging people many, many dollars per week or whatever. And it's just like, how do these get through um, where, you know, it's like they want this image, but then it almost seems like, Ben, like you're saying, it's either because they still take the 30% and they're like, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter that much um, if it really will kind of come back to bite them uh, eventually. Yeah. And that's, I feel like what Dimitri just described is basically classic disruption, right? I mean, that's the idea where an incumbent gets, you know, fat and happy on the business that they have and they don't see the sort of shark circling in the waters and and it all it takes is somebody coming in who can learn from all of your mistakes and all of your successes and do those things better than you can um and because they're small you know they're using their small size sort of by comparison to you as an advantage and and that can be a problem and of course we're talking about the whole ecosystem with not only developers and developer support for that platform but also the billions of users that are going to use it that are going to then buy those apps so like indies are not going to jump to some other platform just because the tools are great like the the customers have to be there as well so it's not just that you can't just have one or the other um so it's it's a much harder problem to solve than i think we're making it out to be in this little conversation but at the same time it is still a legitimate concern I, i i do think that it's something that you know apple should not be resting on their laurels uh too much because it it's i mean they did it to you know the incumbents in the mobile space. I mean, look at like the CEO of Palm back in the day when I when the Apple iPhone first came out. He literally he was famous for saying like, you know, they're not just going to come in here. Was it? It was him. I'm pretty sure they're not just going to come in here and sort of take over. And look what they did. They, they did exactly that. They took him and they took over. And Palm's out of business. So like, it it is definitely possible, even when it seems like the behemoth cannot possibly be, you know, brought down. It it definitely is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's not even going to be done by people that don't have experience. It's likely to be done by past Apple employees, past employees that have worked at all these big companies and noticed their shortcomings. And they're going to say, well, we could redo this. It's not an impossible engineering task. Um, and we'll be slow and under the radar until we're, they're not. And right. then all of a sudden it can take over. I mean, take a look at Ubiquity, the mm-hmm. network uh, systems uh, company. Uh, they like you probably never heard of them five years ago, but now they're kind of taken over the entire enterprise uh, with uh, their networking gear because it's kind of done in the Apple way of mm-hmm. make something that looks nice, that's easy to use, uh, and you'll go far with just that. Um, so that's currently all that Apple has that like is really propelling its platforms is it looks nice and it's easy to use. Uh, it's no longer always works because like there's many situations where everything's just broken all the time. Like I read an article where someone was like, Oh, I counted during one day, all the thousand cuts that I got by using Apple software. And it's not just Apple. It's every company that's out there is ever, we've gone complacent towards like software that does not work. Um, so, uh, I think that's, that's something that Apple needs to be very careful of. Um, and I don't see them as caring about right. any of it. Like they're just going over making the new releases for iOS uh, with the new features that are going to supposedly be interesting to everyone. Um, and 
they're not concentrating on stability uh, or that is noticeable in any case. Maybe it's far too late to kind of fix what's there uh, and it's all far too broken. I don't know. Uh, but there's this kind of uh, ethos in the software space where like, oh, ship fast and fix things later mm-hmm. um, and perfect code can't be made. Um, and I don't, I don't think I believe in that. I think you can make code that is stable and that does not crash and you can ta- like spend time tailoring that and focus on that and make something good out of it. Um, whereas all of the concentration is kind of on the opposite of that. Who cares if it's not okay? Uh, it's going to break. But maybe we need to concentrate on that to kind of get back into that mentality of making quality products. Yeah. What was it? Uh, I can't. This could be totally off. It was either like iOS 8 or iOS 11. And basically they said, hey, this is basically just cleaning up rough edges. Or iOS 12. It was a gr- what was yeah. it? 12. 12. It was a great release of iOS. And then now we have 14. That is pretty buggy. Um, and I, I definitely feel that where, I don't know, just due to competitors uh, android you know uh, on on the android side samsung google and everything pushing forward it's hard even apple being apple and sort of always kind of holding back on the reins a little bit there definitely is i think a need to slow down and maybe focus on yeah usability rather than hey let's cram as many features as we can into this right. both you know it, on the hardware and the software side for sure yeah i think the really like sort of sad thing that has come out recently about this whole thing with like developer relations at Apple is that in their filing their court filings for their fight against Epic they have said some things in there that that you know read from a certain perspective basically sound like they don't value the third party developer ecosystem at all really they think that mm-hmm. all the value that's being provided by iOS is all the hardware and the OS and that the apps are basically you know, that you should be so lucky to, to sort of be able to build apps for our platform. And and while obviously they spend billions of dollars on the hardware, it's top notch. Their silicon is amazing and untouchable. Their, um, you know, their software, while certainly not always perfect, is generally very smooth and does, you know, pretty much whenever I turn my iPhone on and I want to do something, it pretty much does what I want almost every single time, which is not the case in you know in, in other other platforms um that was not a dig on android that's i'm just saying like computing in general uh sure. but it's the, in that filing they they talked about how you know the the app ecosystem that sort of uh making a like intimating that the third party app ecosystem right the apps that are produced by people who are not apple is just not that critical to their success and because they're, they're trying to fight against Epic, right? Saying that like Epic's sure. contribution is not that significant, and you know, so like I get the legal argument, and I get that they're trying to posture themselves so they can win against Epic. But my thinking is that they actually think that, like that, that is that is a real sentiment, at least held by some of the by some of Apple people at Apple, and that's very sad that 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 so much of the work that is being done around the world by you know thousands and thousands and thousands of iOS devs is is thought of by some parts of you know some people at apple is just like meh whatever like it's not we they could all disappear tomorrow and it wouldn't make any difference it's like no i think it would make a huge difference if you <laughs> well, if you if you had no apps little, right 
Sorry. That's well, fine. And it's a little hypocritical as well because yeah. they're buying people like Dark Sky. And yes. I can't remember what uh, the Shortcuts app was called before uh, uh, they bought that company. I don't remember. Something with the W. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's like obviously they value them because they uh, – and Shazam as well. Like They literally buy them with money. Like obviously – yeah. And now they're making them into first party. It's like, right. okay, that – I mean – Again, there's like a disconnect, and there's a little bit of a double standard there. Yeah, for sure. And I, and we're not saying that like everyone who works at Apple obviously hates no, third-party devs. No, like the vast majority are probably more than happy to be building a platform for third-party devs. But there's some sort of messaging that just crops up, and that's the messaging of the whole company. Right. Uh, and once that kind of gets out, it's like damaging both to the people that work at Apple. It's like, why are they working so hard? If, like, none of it matters, it's damaging to all the people that are building their livelihood around Apple. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, you can choose a different... No, the whole point of why they're picking this is because they prefer this platform over everything else. And then Apple's going to say, oh, but you can't do it because we don't like you. It's like, that's okay, great, but it's not It's not nice towards the people that are kind of building uh what they want to be building because the devices are so great and the ecosystem is so great right so that said uh this week's episode is brought to you by fernando's new book once again from junior to senior practical ios style guide so over the past 10 years fernando has helped people get positions at apple startups in silicon valley and other companies all over the world there's literally dozens of people fernando's mentored through different programs and he's seen it time and time again after you learn the basics of programming, you slow down because learning through experience is demanding and painful. In the book, he's taken all the bits of information missing from tutorials that he constantly teaches rising program programmers with, and he's written them down to help you overcome your tutorial hell stage faster. The book contains rules you can immediately apply to your coding habits to dramatically improve, code from published apps that we will refactor and improve with these rules, and applied programming fundamentals Encapsulation is not just a concept, you can see it in your code. Thanks again to Fernando and from Junior to Senior for sponsoring Code Completion. Uh, go to twitter.com slash from junior to senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R, today to learn more. Uh, so now that we're uh, done with our topic, let's. it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, can you take it away? Sure. So last week, uh, if you're looking at the video, it'll be on the left side. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, check the show notes. Um, you will see last week's uh, prompt, which was uh, basically a, uh, a variable called name that had Dimitri in it. And we then create a closure that's assigned to a variable where we print out that name and we then change the name to Ben and we run that closure. And the idea is trying to figure out how to get it to when you run this code to get it to actually say Dimitri and not Ben because we're kind of resetting the name to Ben um, and it's if you don't do anything it's just going to print Ben every time so we actually had three winners last week for this um, Nick uh, gave us a very interesting answer which was to use a capture list where he actually assigns name to Dimitri in the capture list of enclosure and that did work we were surprised by that it's kind of a way that we wouldn't have thought but it, it actually worked um, John then also uh, messaged us and, and answered with kind of the general answer that we that we were looking for, which is to use a um, a capture to capture the current value of name inside the closure. 
And so you just simply, after the opening brace of the closure, you put in, um, in brackets, you put name to capture the name variable, and then it will keep that value for use when you run the closure, and it won't be affected by that reassignment of name to Ben. And then Mark also answered and, and gave us a correct answer. He, he wrote here, I was going to suggest a parameter with a default, but you can't do that in the closure. But then I realized I wasn't thinking outside the box enough, so I converted the closure into a function. My solution is a function called introduce, where you pass in a name with a string that's a type string, and you set it a default value to Dimitri. So that also would have worked. It's a little bit, again, different of an answer, but we're going to count it. So in this week's prompt, we have uh, a struct here called folder that contains three properties, name, which is a string, parent, which is a folder optional, and children, which is an array of folder objects. And so the question is, what's wrong? Uh, sorry, what's the technical limitation that prevents us from having the parent property? Uh, and why is the children property allowed? So we've got two properties, parent and children. One is a optional link to a folder, and the other one is a uh, array of folder objects. One is not allowed, the parent, and one is allowed. So the, the answer to this question would be explaining to us why parent isn't allowed and why children is. If you tweet us, uh, tweet at CodeCompletion with the complete the code hashtag. If you get it right, we'll give you a shout out in the next week's episode. Thank you, Ben. So with all that out of the way, it's time for a compiler error where I get to test my fellow completionists' knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, so let's get right into it. So we have uh, four statements today, all related to uh, early iOS features. So since I was looking back on the App Store, I figured I should also look back on uh, iOS versions. So let's go through these one by one. Uh, so number one, early versions of iPhone OS were limited to a black home screen background, but iOS 3.2 added the capability to finally change it. Statement number two, iOS 14 brought emoji support to the iPhone and iPad for the very first time via a built-in keyboard. Sorry, iOS 4, I might have said 14. Uh, statement number three, although available since the very beginning, iPhone OS 2 brought a scientific calculator to the base feature set when the device was in landscape. And statement number four, Notification Center finally made its debut in iOS 5, allowing users to manage notifications. So something about one of these statements is outright outlandish. Uh, so uh, in order to figure that out, it's up to you two to use your master debugging skills. Uh, and let's start with Ben this time, since you got it right last time. Oh boy, pressure's on. Uh, so I do know that one, that it, it, it is true that early iPhone OS did have a black home screen and you couldn't change it. Um, 3.2 sounds about right, but I, that could actually be wrong. So I think the first part of that is definitely correct. The th part that could be wrong there is the iOS version, but I'm just going to move on and say that it's true. <laughs> iOS 4 uh, brought emoji support to the iPhone and iPad for the first time via a built-in keyboard. Wow, that sounds really early for emoji support because I know that there was... Uh, support in, I believe, in places like Japan before there was sort of more broader international adoption of the emoji keyboard. So, uh, boy, iOS 4 sounds early. I'm going to put that as a maybe and come back to it. Although available since the very beginning, iPhone OS 2 brought a scientific calculator to the base feature set with the device of Netscape. I do know that if you flip it to landscape, you get a better, you sort of a more uh, feature-filled calculator, like a scientific one. Uh, whether that was iPhone OS 2 or not, 
again, that sounds reasonable because, uh, in particular, Apple might want to sh- wanted to show off sort of the switch between portrait and landscape, and using one of their built-in apps would be a good way to advertise that. And then finally, Notification Center finally made it to be in iOS 5, allowing users to manage notifications. So yeah, I, I also remember that that was not a feature that certainly launched with the iPhone that came later. I want to say it was 6 that that happened, but it could have been 5. So I'm kind of waffling between 2 and 4 as being the incorrect ones. I'm just going to go with my gut and say that 2 is wrong because I feel like iOS 4 is too early for the emoji keyboard. So I'm saying that 2 is the compiler error okay and spencer all right oh man so good luck (laughs) i know right i i know that i have a first gen ipod touch somewhere and it's stuck at ios 3.1.3 because that's the last version that was supported wow just trying to remember that if i could change the background on it because if i couldn't or if i could then that would make Mm. that the compiler error Smart. Um, uh, Too bad it probably won't turn on on its own anymore. <laughs> no, right. no, no, no. And I don't even know where it is. Um, yeah, same thing. I The problem with emoji for me was, for whatever reason, I was very anti-emoji until a few years ago. And so I just like flat out refused to use it. And so I have no idea as far as when, <laughs> when it uh, was supported. But I, I agree with Ben. I think it is... Uh, probably something that may have been adopted um, in earlier versions, just not something that was widely used here in the U.S. Who um, iPhone OS 2 sounds a little bit early for me, but I, again, definitely can see Apple wanting to show rotation, you know, changes and everything as well. Um, and then Notification Center, I agree, it's like, it's around that time, it's either 5 or 6. Um... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with number one. I'm gonna go with my gut here. It's always okay. a good choice. Go with your gut. <laughs> yeah. So you both agree with uh, number three. So let's start there. Although available since the very beginning, iPhone OS two brought a scientific calculator to the base feature set when the device was in landscape. Uh, so I have a question for both of you. Do either of you use your device in landscape other than watching video? Mm, no. no. <laughs> So I found it quite interesting that there was this whole concept of having an app work in landscape, but then nowadays no one wants to use an app in landscape. Um, However, we all probably use our iPads in landscape when they're still portrait-only iPad apps, which blows my mind. Uh, But this is completely true. So iPhone OS 2 did bring the scientific calculator to the base feature set. Um, And again, it was likely to show off that you can use it in landscape. Um, And I think the major focus was so that we can type in landscape because everyone was kind of doubtful that you mm, can mm-hmm. type on the super little skinny keyboard, yeah. uh, but if you rotate it, you have a nice big keyboard. Right. When I always found it harder to type in landscape because you can't see what you're typing. You have right. like one line of text that you can work with. And not to mention, um, like today on the giant phones, going landscape with a keyboard would be just ridiculous, right? Like, no, with that, I they thinking. actually don't make it as wide as a phone. It's actually oh, smaller right, yeah. with margins, right, uh, right? For that reason. So that, let's go with number four next, because you also both agree with that one. So Notification Center finally made its debut in iOS 5, allowing users to manage notifications. Um, 
And I actually remember this clearly because at WWDC, we all went and put iOS 5 beta on our devices, and it was not a good time. Uh, that was that was the first major lesson that we had where Notification Center was like so enticing. We wanted it uh, right then, right now, uh, and no one's device worked during the bash because we had all put it on our main devices, and nothing was working at that point. Doing exactly so, what you're not supposed to do, which is put it on your daily driver, right? Right. Yeah, so this is why developers say don't do it, uh, even though they do it anyways, uh, is because they learned through hard experiences, namely in iOS 5 with Notification Center. Uh, so let's go with uh, number one next. So Spencer, you think that early versions of iOS were limited to a black home screen background, but it was in iOS 3.2 uh, that you can finally change it. You think that one is uh, fake, uh, but unfortunately, that one is true, and it was iOS 3.2 with the iPad release where you can finally have a different image on the home screen. Um, and all that means that, once again, Ben, you got it right twice in a row. Uh, yeah. iOS 4 Officially uh, was a streak, not the I version. <laughs> Officially a streak. Uh, iOS 4 was not the version that brought emoji support to the iPhone. It was actually iPhone OS 2.2 that brought emoji oh, wow. uh, support, but only in Japan. So you had to have a oh. SoftBank SIM card and it wasn't like anywhere in Japan. You had to have a SoftBank SIM card to enable it. Now, in iOS 4, you could enable it via an app that would just like touch something on the system out of its sandbox and that would that. magically make it available. But uh, iOS 5 was the first version to make it available as uh, an international keyboard. Uh, but it was available all the way back in iPhone OS 2.2, which I found uh, quite fun and surprising. So great nice. job, Ben. Sorry, Spencer. Um, all good. And that brings us to the end of our show. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for watching live and listening in this week. We'll be streaming every Friday, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live and get released. Be sure to also sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website at CodeCompletion.io, where we will recap the topics we discuss and reveal answers to complete the code and share even more things we learned between episodes. And most importantly, as a new podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a nice, healthy community around everything we talk about. Uh, so once again, I want to give my thanks uh, to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S. Uh, and Ben, who is at Ferrousguy. That's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y. Uh, for joining me this week. Uh, my name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. See ya. Thanks, guys. See ya.